Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Ezra. The Old Testament book of Ezra in Ezra chapter number 1. Ezra in chapter number 1. Now we are currently going through a series of the minor prophets. As we've been taking each of these 12 minor prophets, taking... Um, one a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and exploring these minor prophets. And as we come today, you say, well, Ezra's not a minor prophet. However, it is setting up the context of two minor prophets of both Haggai and Zechariah, which we need to know the context of to see the power and the impact of both of those minor prophets. And so if you don't mind to turn to the Old Testament book of Ezra, the Old Testament book of Ezra that's found within the Old Testament, found in a section of the Bible we call the historical books. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then we come to the, uh, the actual historical books of Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. Then we come to the book of Ezra. The book of Ezra and chapter number one. Ezra and chapter number one. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the word of God and look with me in the book of Ezra chapter one. Notice with me starting at verse number one. Ezra chapter one and verse one, the Bible says this. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judea. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem. And whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of his place help him with silver, and with gold, and with goods, and with beasts, beside the freewill offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the chief fathers of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests, and the Levites, and with them whose spirit God hath raised, to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And they all that were about them strengthened their hands with the vessels of silver, and with gold, with goods, and with beasts, and with precious things, beside all that were willingly offered. And also Cyrus the king brought forth the vessels out of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had brought forth out of Jerusalem, and had put them in the house of his gods. Even those did Cyrus king of Persia bring forth by the hand 
of Meredith, the treasurer, and numbered them to Shabazar, prince of Judah. And this is the number of them. Thirty charges of gold, a thousand charges of silver, nine and twenty knives, thirty basins of gold, silver basins of a short sort, four hundred and ten, and the other vessels a thousand. All the vessels of gold and of silver were five thousand and four hundred. All these did Shabazar bring up with him of the captivity that were brought up from Babylon unto Jerusalem. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that is pretty much emphasized all throughout this passage? But notice with me in verse number three, it says, build the house of the Lord. Ezra chapter one and verse three, build the house of the Lord. And you could see that phrase brought up several different times in several different ways here. But notice verse three, build the house of the Lord of the Lord. And with the Lord's help, we're going to emphasize this as our title today, build the house of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we now approach this passage here, I'm asking that you would give us wisdom and that you would give us discernment, help us to see what is going on historically, that we may apply it to us practically. Again, we can trust you to do your work because you are trustworthy. As for me, the best I know how I surrender myself now, my desire, my will, my ambition, my goals, what I want to see accomplished, I give that all to you and ask that you fill me with your precious spirit because we can trust you to do your own work through your precious word now. Draw people close to you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we start, let's go ahead and we'll do the application at the very beginning. That the Bible declares that there are three places that God has called his house. The very first would be the tabernacle that the people of Israel built in the wilderness. It was the temporary dwelling place and it would travel from here to there as the people traveled. That was called the house of the Lord. The second house of the Lord that is declared in the Bible would be the temple that of course Solomon had put it together later on they are building up the temple here. That is called the house of the Lord. Then in the New Testament we have a third place that is declared to be the house of the Lord and that is the local New Testament church. And each of those are declared the house of the Lord. And so as we're going through what is going happening in history, and we can see the emphasis that is being placed in the book of Ezra on building the house of the Lord, we can also apply these same principles to what we are planning to do here and now as we serve the Lord and see the emphasis that God is placing. The very first thing I'd like to show you from this context here is the proclamation of Cyrus. The proclamation of of Cyrus. Notice with me in Ezra chapter 1 and verse 1. Now in the first year of Cyrus king of Persia that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. Let me pause there. There's a lot in that few statements. Now, of course, we've been placing an emphasis as we've been going through the minor prophets, understanding that in order to get a good grasp of the minor prophets, that we also have to have a good grasp of 
history. We know that there are many world empires, the Bible declares about them in the book of Daniel, and then we can look at a history book that we start off with the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire were considered the Nazis of the ancient world, and they were used to destroy Samaria, the northern kingdom of Israel, in 722 BC. Next came the Babylonians, and the Babylonians ruled the entire world, and they had destroyed the southern kingdom of Judah in 586 BC. Now remember, as we've been going through the minor prophets, the first batch of minor prophets were trying to warn Israel about the Assyrians. The Assyrians are coming! The Assyrians are coming! What are we supposed to do about it? Get right with God! Get right with God! Get right with God! And because the people refused to get right with God, the judgment came on Assyria in 722 BC. Then we saw the next batch of minor prophets. And as they dealt with the minor prophets, they were dealing with Babylon was coming. Babylon is coming. Babylon is coming. What are we supposed to do with it? Get right with God. Get right with God. Get right with God. But they refused to get right with God. Remember the last minor prophets we hit was the book of Habakkuk. And remember that at the same time that Habakkuk is preaching, Jeremiah is preaching. The same time Habakkuk is preaching, we have Ezra, who's on the other side in Babylon preaching. All the same message, get right with God, get right with God, get right with God. In fact, the passage here in Ezra mentions Jeremiah, that the word that the, <clears throat> that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. What was this that needed to be fulfilled? Well, God had told Jeremiah that I was going to that God was going to take the Babylonians and they were going to destroy Jerusalem. They were going to burn the temple. Then they were going to transport all the people who lived in the southern kingdom and transported them thousands of miles away and brought them throughout different parts of the Babylonian empire. And so that way, as they're scattered, they cannot unite together to rebel against the Babylonian empire. They would be stuck. But God, as he talked to Jeremiah, he said, Jeremiah, there's a time limit on this. Seventy years. Seventy years. Start your clock. Go. And guess what? Seventy years were fulfilled. Even Daniel, who's in Babylon, is watching his clock and say, oh, 70 years is up. And he begins to pray. We'll watch that in the book of Daniel. That he says, oh, I'm reading my Bible. I saw the 70 years were fulfilled. I looked at my calendar. And then I started praying, God, what are you going to do about this? God, what are you going to do about this? And what did God do about this? He rose up the Persian Empire, as we could see in verse number one, under the leadership of Cyrus the Great. In 536 BC, we can look in history, the Persians came and they destroyed Babylon. In fact, we have showed you the passage in the book of Isaiah where God had predicted in Isaiah 44 and 45, 150 to 200 years before it even happened. That God was going to bring Cyrus the Great. He even named Cyrus by name. Before Cyrus was even born. What, is we, what do we learn about this? God's in control of history. He knows every bit of it. And by the way, the heart of the king is in the Lord's hands. He knows what he's doing. And so now to fulfill what God had promised through Jeremiah. What God had told through the minor prophets. The people were now going to be allowed to return under the proclamation of Cyrus, who in Isaiah 44 and Isaiah 45 said was my shepherd. He was my servant. And God is using this king to do God's work. Why is that so significant? Because Cyrus didn't believe in God. 
Meaning he didn't follow after God, the God of the Hebrews. If we trust history and his own writings, he never accepted God's promises. He's not in heaven today. But God can use a non-believing ruler to get across his work. That's the hope that we have. It doesn't matter who's elected. God knows what he's doing. And he's in charge. Because our hope is not in politics and it's not in Washington and it's not in Madison. It's in heaven. It's in the Lord. That's who we trust. Notice this now as we get on. We're understanding the history. It's now being fulfilled just like the promise said. It is now being delivered. Verse number one. Now in the first year of Cyrus king of Persia. That the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus king of Persia. That he, Cyrus, made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it in writing saying, now again, notice God stirred up the king. God stirred up a non-believing king to get his work accomplished. I'm re-emphasizing that to tell you that's where our hope lies. We can trust in God and God's getting his work accomplished. Notice this is what Cyrus wrote in verse number two. Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all kingdoms of the earth. And he, this God, charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judea. Now notice this. He's recognizing that the God of heaven. We remember when we studied the names of God, we saw it in the book of Jonah. That this name of God, the Lord God of heaven, is to identify which God out of all the gods that were known to the Babylonians, all the gods that were known to the Persian, which God? The God who made all of heaven and earth. The God of the Hebrews. This God told me that I needed to send and build a house for him. Imagine that. That God is using a Gentile king to put together to for the purpose of building God a house. To rebuild it. Now what happened to the first one? It was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 BC. They wiped it out. They raised it. It's destroyed. It's gone. There is currently no house in Jerusalem. But because of the order of Cyrus, he says, guess what? God told me we need to rebuild him a house. So here's my declaration. Go do it. Notice with me in verse 3. Who is there among you of his people? Notice this. He's telling God's people to build his house. Who? Who's there of God's people? Stand up. Make yourself known. I've got a task for you because of your God. His God. Notice this. Who is there among you among his people? His God. Who's God? The God of his people. Your God wants you to do something. Your God has a commandment for you. Your God has a desire for you. His God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judea, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. Notice this parenthesis. He is the God. Notice that definite article. He's not saying he is a God. (laughs) He is the God. Your God told me to tell you to go build your temple. And your God's real. I know he's real. I've seen some things. Probably Daniel's pulled him aside and said, Daniel? Uh, Daniel probably said, Cyrus, can I show you some things from scripture? Here's Isaiah. Here's some of my own visions. Here's some other things. And Cyrus is probably saying, you know what? There's probably something to this. 
My name's written in scripture, this, the Hebrew scripture 150 years ago, 200 years ago. There's something to this God. And so because this God has been proven real to me, I want you to go worship your God because he is real. He is not a God. He is the God. You go serve your God. You go make him your God. You follow after him. Now, isn't that exciting things? Again, it's more exciting because it's not a preacher that's saying that. It's more exciting because it's not a Levite that's saying that. It's more exciting because it's not a Hebrew king that's saying that. This is a Gentile, non-believing king who's been convinced that the Hebrew God is real and that the Hebrew people, because their God is real, needs to go build him a house. He's pretty serious about this. This is an amazing part of history. By the way, this isn't just found in the Bible. This is found in Persian history. You can look back in Persian history and find this decree of Cyrus and see as he declared for the Hebrew people to come back. The Persians are one of my favorite uh, uh, cultures to study in history. And I have a textbook from a college that is not a Bible college at all. And the class was not led by a Bible professor. But it still lists this in Persian history. It's amazing that this is, God is so in control, he could use a Gentile king to get his work accomplished. Notice as he goes on, verse number four. And whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourned. So remember the Babylonians had transported the people all throughout the Babylonian empire. As the Persians came, they sucked up all the, the Babylonian empire and now they're saying, guess what? You don't have to stay here. You could go home. But if you say, I'm comfortable here. I don't want to go to Jerusalem. I'm comfortable here. I don't want to come back where I come from. You still have a part in building God's house. Notice as he goes on verse 4. And whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of his place help him, meaning the him of those who are serving with silver and gold and goods and beasts, beside the free will offering of the house of God that is in Jerusalem. He's saying, you know what? If you're a Hebrew person, it doesn't matter where you're at. You have a responsibility to go back and build the temple at Jerusalem. By the way, as we're making an application today, that God still places an emphasis on his house, which is now the local New Testament church. Everyone has a role to play and building God's house. And getting accomplished what God wants to get done through his house today. Everyone has a part to play. You say, well, I'm too old and too crippled to go knock doors. You still have a part to play. You know one of the things I'm looking forward to one day is having a senior saint soul winning ministry. Well, what is that? Is that where we're all on our walkers and going? No, you gather together and you pray for the soul winners that are going out. And more may be accomplished by their prayers than the actual soul winners going out. Everyone has a part to play. Everyone has a role to play. There's no such thing as I'm too old to be a part of this. You are not. God has a role for everyone to do. Teenagers, you've got plenty of things to do. God has a responsibility and a task for everyone to do. And as we all do our part, God will see his house be accomplished the way that he wants it to be accomplished. Everyone has a role to play. Everyone has a part to play in this. So as we start off, the first thing we see here is the proclamation of Cyrus. And this is an exciting thing. This is a historical document that is listed here that Cyrus, a Persian king, a Gentile king, 
has now made the permission and sent the people to go back for the purpose of building God's house. We see the proclamation of the king. Then we see the preparation of the people. The preparation of the people. So as this proclamation goes out, notice what happens in verse number 5. Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin and the priest and the Levites with all of them whose spirit God had raised to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. As this proclamation went out, we see that people took the leadership. It's when it talks about the, the fathers. It talk, those are the idea of the leaders of Jerusalem, of Judah, of Benjamin. The leaders of the priests, the leaders of the Levites. They gathered together and said, guess what guys? We need to go obey God. We have a part to play. And they began to rally up the people to go with them. They started to prepare. They started to get things together. Verse number 6. And all they that were about them strengthened their hands with vessels of silver and gold and with goods and with beasts and precious things beside all that was willingly offered. Notice that willingly offered again in verse number four, four, it was a free will offering. The people said, I want to see God's house completed that they didn't have to beg for money. People freely gave it. I'm invested in seeing God's house. That included people who were not directly going to Jerusalem. We want to have a part in this. We have something to play. We're willing to give finances to help this get accomplished. Everyone was able to do something for God's house. And so they prepared and they got everything. They're still in Persia. They start to gather things together. They start to collect all the goods. They start to get everything they need. But besides that, verse 7 also Cyrus the king brought forth the vessels of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had brought out of Jerusalem and had put them in the house of God's. What happened when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple before they burnt the place to the ground, they stole everything inside. So they took the table of showbread. They took all the vessels. They took everything that was made, all the instruments, everything that was made for God's house. And they had collected it and put it in a museum for a while. That was until uh, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson took him out and decided to have a big party. Hey, we found this in the closet. It used to serve some Hebrew God or something. Let's have a big party with this. And that's, of course, the same party where he saw the handwriting of the wall that says, you've been weighed and tried, found wanting, you're done. Tonight, you're going to be done. And it was that same night that Cyrus the Great took the city of Babylon by going underneath the dried river just when they got brought out of the closet. You know why they were brought out of the closet? So that way they knew where they were at. They weren't in storage. God already had him prepared and ready to go. Isn't God wonderful? Isn't history wonderful? I love placing all this stuff together. So now all this stuff was already out. And they just said, hey, this is the Hebrew stuff. Go ahead and gather them together. Put them in boxes. Let them go. And so they gathered them all together. By the way, Cyrus the Great gave a lot of money. For the Hebrew people to go build their thing. So it wasn't just them alone. God was making sure that this task could and would be completed. Why? Because unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. It has to be God that does it. We're just willing vessels watching God work. Notice as it goes on in verse 8. Even those did Cyrus, king of Persia, bring forth by the hand of Melodareth, the treasurer, and number them to Shabazar, the prince 
of Judah. Let me pause here and let's hit Shabazar. Shabazar is one of the most important people inside of Hebrew history. He's often an unsung hero, but you may know him as his other name of Zerubbabel. I love Zerubbabel. Could you imagine being named Zerubbabel? Showing up to kindergarten. What's your name? My name's Zerubbabel. How do you spell that? I don't know. Nobody knows. So if you ever need a name to name a child, there you go, Zerubbabel. But Zerubbabel is one of the most important part of people of history. In fact, we have a whole message on him later when we talk about the lineage of Christ. He is so amazing and so important. He's in both lineages of Christ, both of the kingly line in Matthew and Mary's bloodline inside of Luke. And it crosses at him. He is that important. He's in both blood lineages. Zerubbabel is such an important person in history. God places emphasis. But his name is also interesting. His Persian name or his Babylonian name. Remember that when the people transported the Hebrew people into Babylon. They gave them new names. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those were the Babylonian names. Not their Hebrew names. They changed their names. Well, interesting enough, Shabazar, his Babylonian name means joy and tribulation. He had such a testimony. What should we name this guy? I mean, we took him hostage. He's now a prisoner, but he's still happy. He still has joy because the joy of the Lord is my strength. We're going to call him joy and tribulation. This is someone who's learned to plug into Christ. Again, the study of 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 a, excuse me, a Zerubbabel is an amazing study. To have a name where your enemies call you, joy and tribulation. That's someone who has peace beyond all understanding. We have him kidnapped and he dares to have a peace and a joy that doesn't make sense. The joy of the Lord is my strength. What's his, uh, Babylon, or his Hebrew name? Zerubbabel? It means stranger in Babylon, meaning I don't belong here. This is not my home. I'm just a passing through. I'm looking for something beyond this place here. Isn't those cool names? And God's the one who raised him up. The prince of Judah, this is important too because he's in the lineage of Christ. That if there was a king of Jerusalem at this time, Zerubbabel should have and would have been the king. And so he is now tasked in charge. Zerubbabel, you're the one who should have been the king. We're now tasking you to go back and lead your people And build that house for God. Go get it done. Yes, sir. And so verses 9, 10, and 11. It talks about all the things that they gathered from the house of the Lord. That was kept in storage in Babylon. And now they're going to bring it and haul it back. Back to Jerusalem. And they're going to serve God. And it's going to work. Now in chapter 2, we have a list of names. That 20,000 people went with Zerubbabel back. excuse me, went back to Jerusalem. And in chapter 2, it lists all of the names. Why? Because everyone's important. And everyone has a role to play in going back and building God's house. That God says, listen, I'm going to list their name. I'm going to list, I remember, I know everyone who had a part in building God's house. There's no such thing as a forgotten person who, who was used to help build the house of the Lord. Everyone's important. Everyone has a role to play. And so they come back and everyone's doing their part. 
Now it brings me to a third thing. We started by the proclamation of Cyrus. That Cyrus said, go back and I want you to build the house of God. Your God told me, you need to go back and build your house. This is what he wants done. Go get it. Then we see the preparation. As the people prepare, they gather the stuff. They have someone in charge of them. They get the offerings. They gather up all the tools. They do everything they need to go back to rebuild. Even Cyrus the Great gives money for them to go back to their own homeland and start rebuilding again. And now we come to the praise of the congregation. In chapter 3, they begin to build the foundation. And that's all they get to. They start uh, clearing off the land. Remember where uh, the temple stands? It's actually on top of a hill. So they had to clear off the brush. They had to clear off the thing. It's been standing there for 70 years in ruins. They had to clear the ruins. And they rebuilt the foundation. They worked hard on it. In chapter 3 in verse 8, notice what happens. Chapter 3 verse 8. Now in the second year of the, their coming unto the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month began Zerubbabel the son of Shealathiel and Joshua the son of Jehoshadak. And the remnant of their brethren the priests and the Levites and all that were to come out of captivity unto Jerusalem and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward and set forward the work of the house of the Lord. So everyone had a role to play. All of them were set to work. Verse number nine. Then stood Joshua with his sons and his brethren, Cadamel and his sons of the son of Judah, together to set forward the workmen and the house of God, the sons of Hinnadad and their sons with the brethren, the Levites. And when the brethren, uh, the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priest in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph with cymbals to praise the Lord after the ordinance of, King, of David, king of Israel. Let's pause here. So what they did is they worked hard and they built the foundation. That's all they got. They have, don't even have all the pillars of the post. They have the foundation. But they stop and thank the Lord because it's a milestone. It's something to do. And they stop and they celebrate. They go back to the Old Testament. Uh, to the way that David set up the people cheering for the house of God. And they set up the singers. And they set up the congregation. And they had a big worship service. Notice how this worship service goes in verse number 11. And they sang together by course. That by course means they sang one song after another song, after another song, after another song, after another song. And they sang together by course. This is congregational singing, by the way. They're all singing together as a congregation, song after song after song, in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord. How was one way they praised God and gave thanks? Through song. Because... He is good, for his mercy endureth forever towards Israel. By the way, what was the basis of his song? Because he is good, and his mercy endureth forever. All they're doing is saying, God is good. God is right. He has showed us mercy forever. Notice what a great God that we have. And they sing song, giving praise and thanks to this God over and over because they cannot express enough about how great God is. And again, all they did was lay the foundation. That's it. Notice what happens. 
And all the people shouted with a great shout. For those of you who think that you should always be quiet in church, here's a church service where they shouted. They're excited. You should be excited about things going on in the house of the Lord. It should be exciting. It should be one of the most encouraging times of the week to be in God's house, to be excited about things new. Hallelujah! Oh, there's nothing like the Icicle Baptist Church where everyone's frozen, everyone's just... Where you shout amen and everyone looks to see who the visitor is. There should be something about being in God's house. Excitement. Nothing like, oh, victory in Jesus. There should be something to it. We're in the house of God. Our God is real. He's proven himself over and over. The least I could do is shout explanation and sing praise to this wonderful God. Can you imagine what a church service, this congregation service would be like? Check out that DVD when you get to heaven or whatever they have back then. And and to see the people shouting and excited and thrilled to be part of the house of God as they are assembled together. Notice this, verse number 12. But many of the priests and the Levites and the chief fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes wept with a loud voice and many shouted aloud for joy. Now, here's some of these ancient men. Remember, it's been 70 years since they've been transported. So these are old men. These are men who maybe saw the temple as boys. Now remember, Solomon's temple was a one ancient wonder. When Solomon had built this temple, it was huge and it was overlaid with gold. So it was to made, made so when someone would walk to Jerusalem and they would see the sun glinting off the, tabern, the temple, it would be a picture of God's glory and presence upon the city. If they were to build Solomon's temple in today's economy, a couple years late, who knows what inflation would be like with lumber and everything. But a couple years ago with inflation, it would be $20 billion to build. That was a huge wonder, all that gold overlaid. Now, some of the people were a little bit discouraged because they're saying, this is a temple here. We have the foundation. There's no way it's going to be like it was. There's no way it's going to be like it was. But there were some that were crying. Why? We got our house back. The temple is back. After 70 years, it's back. It's not here all the way, but we can see it. There's with our eyes. It's going to be back. And there was people who were shouting with joy. Yes! Look at what God has done. Why are they shouting? Why are they so excited? It was meaningful to them. Because they knew how important God's house was before. And they knew how much they needed God's house now. And they were excited. And they wept. You know what this is? Emotions. There's nothing wrong with having emotions at church. They're excited. They're thrilled. They're weeping with joy. They're happy. Notice how much was it? Verse 13. So that the people could not discern the noise of the shout from the joy of a shout of joy from the noise of weeping from the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout. And the noise was heard afar off. Man, what's happening in that city over there? They're excited about something. It's not the Packers. They didn't score a touchdown. They're louder than that. 
They're more excited than that. There was something about the house of the Lord. Why is this such an important idea? Because the people knew they needed God's house. And God knew they needed God's house. So God stirred up an emperor of a world civilization who did not believe in God for himself. But he was convinced that that God was true. Here was someone that God had stirred up and used to go say, go back home, rebuild the temple. This is what God wants you to do. God has something for each of you to do. Anyone who considers yourself a Hebrew person, a Jewish person, that you want the house of God, you participate. even if you don't go back, you need to participate in helping that house succeed and be built. Because God wants to use his house again. When they started building the foundation, it's not even finished. The people are celebrating. They're weeping. They're excited. May I ask you, as we understand that there are three houses, the tabernacle, the temple, and the church, the local church, that considered the house of God. Are you that excited about the things that are going on here? I mean, this is important to God. He has a plan for this. You know how much God loves the church, according to the Bible? He loved the church so much that he died for it. We should love what God loves. What does that mean? That each of you have a role to play. What does it mean when someone becomes a member of a local church? It means that they are putting their life and their influence in helping that local church accomplish what God has given them to do. And so everyone who joins is saying, I believe this is what God has given me to do to help this local church accomplish God's purpose. That I have a role to play. There's no such thing as a spectator sport in God's work. Everyone has a role to play. You say, well, I can't do much, but can you do something? You say, I don't know what I can do. Can you pray? That's one of the most important things that can go on inside of the house of God. (laughs) Can you sing? Not well. Well, praise the Lord. Can you have a joyful noise? Amen. That's all that's required. Psalm 100. You could do something. You can all do something. And God has a role to play. It's not just one person leading the whole thing. Everyone has a role to do. You have a role to do. And God wants to get you involved. This is important. Now this is going to lead into Habakkuk or Haggai and Zechariah. How? Well, because in the next chapter, in chapter number four, the celebration didn't last. Persecution began to come up. Opposition began to come to stop the building. They started saying, why are you doing this? That's wrong. Cyrus passed away and a new Persian emperor came. And so they wrote a letter and said, hey, you look in your history and you find Jerusalem. They have a habit of standing against world empires. They have a habit of standing against bullies. And if you let them build, they're going to stand against you. And so the new Persian emperor said, you know what? Look and see in the history if that's right. Oh yeah, here's Hezekiah who stood against the Assyrians. Oh, here's Josiah who tried to fight against Egypt. Oh yeah, that's true. All right, fine. Stop building the house. And opposition came and people came and they stopped for 15 years. 15 years. All they got was the foundation. Could you imagine after 15 years the weeds growing around it? Nature trying to reclaim it. People were shouting in joy and now because of opposition they've done nothing. God clearly told them to build the house but now, oh no, not. mm. 
And so what God does, in fact, let's see the context. Chapter 4, verse 24. The last verse of chapter 4. Then cease the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased unto the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. But notice the next verse, chapter 5, verse 1. Then the prophets, Haggai the prophet, and Zechariah the son of Iddo, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. Now we have the context of both Haggai and Zechariah. God says, sent these two preachers to preach and to give a message, obey and build God's house. And both of them preached together. Zechariah was a lot nicer. and He gave prophecies and visions. Haggai, the older preacher, said, listen, this is what God said. Get it done. And the people said, yes, sir. And they began to obey. And that's what we're going to find in the book of Haggai is the preaching to get people to start building again. That's what you're going to find in the book of Zechariah. Visions and prophecies to encourage people to build. Why? Because God wanted his house built. He had a purpose for it. And they need it reminded that this is what God had given to do. You understand there are going to be times where it's going to be persecution. Times where there's going to be obstacles. Times where you're going to have reasons and seemingly legitimate reasons why you shouldn't be faithful to God's house. Reasons why you shouldn't be involved in God's house. But God says, listen, I'm going to give you the best reason of all. Me. Because of me. Because of who I am, you should serve me. Because who I am, you should be willing to follow after me. Because of who I am, knowing that I can protect you, you should serve me. And so as we start off this morning, we're hitting the idea that God has a desire to build his house. And he has a desire to do something great. In a few moments after our potluck, we're going to continue with the thought in the book of Haggai. And see that God has a desire to use you to help build his house. And he has a purpose for it. So basically, we're going to put the to be continued sign on. And we'll see what happens a little bit later. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.